All right, you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 20. We are back in our series through Exodus. This started back in February, uh, and we are finishing it by the end of the year, one way or another. We took the month of May off, we took the month of August off, uh, but we're back to it today. Um, we were not going to originally get in, back into it until uh, next week. That was the plan because I had a message for um, baptism today. Um, but then I realized that they kind of go together because the problem, I see a problem when people get baptized, they struggle with something often after the fact. So I wanted to talk about that problem. And then when I was looking at the passage that we're, we would be in next week for Exodus, I thought, well, that's the solution to the problem I was going to talk about today. So let's just combine it, get back into Exodus a week early, and uh, we'll make sure we finish by, by Christmas time. Okay? <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. I'll tell you what that problem is and what that solution is uh, in due time. Um, but, but let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Pastor Shea is going to come up and read the text to us, over us, with us. And then we'll jump into it. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Thank you, Pastor Shea. You all can have a seat. Thank you for standing. A few years ago, my wife and I watched the movie The Vow. Anybody see it? Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum. They play this uh, married couple who get into a car accident. It's based on a true story. Uh, they get into a car accident, and she has amnesia when she wakes up. Not, not like super long-term amnesia, but she forgets being married to this guy. She doesn't recognize him. She remembers her family. She remembers her parents. She remembers her old friends. She even remembers her ex-boyfriend. Talk about awkward. She doesn't recognize her husband and doesn't remember getting married to this guy. So her previous identity, she reverts back to, she forgets who she has become, what has happened to her. And the rest of the movie is about her trying to navigate uh, this, this new identity, but being tempted to revert back to uh, dealing with her parents the way she used to, and dealing with her friends the way she used to, and dealing with her ex-boyfriend the way she used to, uh, at, at uh, great uh, you know, cost to her current marriage. Um, and, and, and I thought of that movie because with Baptism Sunday here, um, this is the great struggle for those of you who are getting baptized. This is the great struggle for all Christians, but this is the great struggle for those of you getting baptized that I need to point out. Because when you get baptized, you are identifying or declaring your new identity in Jesus. You, you are declaring that when you go down underwater, the old you that used to find your identity in what you accomplished and how good you did uh, at, at your job or in sports or what people thought of you, that, that, that you know, you, you, the old you that had to prove your worth, the old you that thought you had to earn God's favor through religious deeds, that's dead and buried with Christ. And then when you come up out of the water, it represents a new you. Jesus' very resurrection life in you how you've been justified by what Jesus did on the cross. God declares you righteous because of what Jesus did, 
Not because of your works. God declares you his adopted son or daughter. You've been put into his family now. That's the new you. And you get to rest in that. You get to trust in that. That your past sins have been forgiven and even your future sins that you're going to commit tomorrow have been forgiven. That's the new identity you have. However, because we live in a broken world, you and I, because we live in a world that is less than ideal, far less than ideal, we often wake up with identity amnesia, like Rachel McAdams' character in that movie, where we forget who we are. We forget who we belong to. We forget what has happened to us. And so we revert back to dealing with the difficulties and trials of life the way we used to. We revert back to those things with the, the old attitudes, the old behaviors, the old ways of reacting to the people around us when things don't go according to plan. We may know in our heads, for example, that nothing we do could make God love us any less, and yet we revert back to trying to perform for God, trying to prove ourselves to the people around us because we get identity amnesia. We may know in our heads that we've been adopted into God's family, but there's going to be days when disappointment hits us and we start to act like orphans. I better look out for me because God isn't looking out for me, clearly. Anybody else ever experienced that? Identity amnesia? Frank Martinez has. The rest of you guys are pretty darn good. Y'all should come up and preach this. <laughs> Share your testimony how you got there. I wake up with identity amnesia all the time. And that's the great struggle for those of you getting baptized. This was the struggle for the people of Israel. And that's why the passage that Pastor Shea just read, that's what we're going to talk about. The people of Israel, if you haven't been with us with this journey through Exodus, they've been rescued out of Egypt. They've been led through the Red Sea. Their enemies... Pharaoh and his armies were crushed in the Red Sea. God freed them, called them to himself, all out of his grace, and he's leading them to the promised land. Along the way, there's been moments of testing in the wilderness where they were hungry, they were thirsty, and God showed them that he is the God that can be trusted. He's a faithful God who would provide for them. But they still had these moments of doubt, identity amnesia. They forgot what happened to them. And then they come to Mount Sinai, and this is where God gave them the Ten Commandments, which is the foundation of the law. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of the commandments, which all kind of spring out of the Ten Commandments. But the laws were given, these commands were given, not for them to earn God's favor. It was because God had already freed them out of his grace and said, I want you to live different. I've freed you to live different. I've adopted you to my family, and here's some family rules so that you could have a fulfilling life, a joyful life, a peaceful life, a life that the rest of the nations look at and go, wow, there's something about those Israelites. I want in on that. I want to know their God. That's what God's purpose was, and that's still his purpose for you and I. When we trust in Jesus, we get that but so much more. Because Jesus was our greater Moses who went into the ultimate Egypt to rescue us, the ultimate slaves, from the ultimate enemies, sin and death and Satan. Jesus went down into the ultimate Red Sea, death itself, and came out the other side victorious. And he invites us to follow him towards the ultimate promised land. Heaven coming down to earth when he returns. 
And in the meantime, we have this new identity, but we're also sort of wandering in this wilderness called a broken earth while we're waiting for his return. And so we get these moments of temptation to revert back to our old identity and forget who we are and not live according to his commandments. In other words, we don't obey God. And I'm talking to those of you who have already trusted in Jesus. We sin. We don't obey God because we forget who we are. But we forget who we are because we first forget who God is. We first forget who God is and that's what causes us to forget who we are. Not on a head level, perhaps, but at least on a heart level, we forget how big, how majestic God is, and he becomes small. I've used this analogy before, so bear with me if you've heard it. When I was in high school, there were two girls who liked me, loved me, actually. One girl was my girlfriend, who I also loved and thought very highly of, and she was a big deal to me. The other girl was a few years younger, and a little on the weird side, she would just show up at my locker. I didn't really know her. And she would tell people we were dating. And I'd be like, I don't know who that is. I don't know what's going on. She would call the house. I remember one time, tell my parents, I'm Chris's girlfriend. Can you put him on the phone? And I was like, yeah, I don't, what, I don't know what's going on here. So it was a little strange. Sweet girl, but just strange in that sense. Now, if I was having a bad day, Guess who telling me they loved me would matter more and cheer me up more? My girlfriend, because she was a bigger deal. The other girl was kind of small in my heart. Nice, but small. If my girlfriend on another day thought I was a jerk, because I could be a jerk in high school, and she you know, was angry at me, and then this other strange girl was buttering me up, telling me I could do no wrong, guess which one would have a greater impact on my identity? My girlfriend, because she matters more. So if she's saying the negative stuff about me, that's the stuff I'm going to start to respond to, try to make up for, try to deal with. Because this girl over here was small. And that's how many of us see God. We might say, yeah, yeah, God loves me, God loves me. But he's small in our hearts. And so what we really want is to, you know, for our bosses to approve of us or our in-laws to approve of us or our spouse to tell us that we're awesome or our friends, or our college roommates, or whoever, to sign off on us, validate us, and tell us that we're worth something. Oh yeah, God, yeah, God. So the answer isn't always to sing songs about who I am because of God. If God is small, it won't move the needle of our hearts. That make sense? If God's a small deal, then we might know with great confidence that he loves us, but it won't do anything for us because he's a small deal in our hearts compared to everything else weighing on us. Make sense? And so after giving the Ten Commandments, God shows up and he wants to remind the Israelites of who he is so that they don't forget so that they don't drift off. And that's why he did this. Let's read it again. Verse 18, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. This was supernatural stuff going on here. This was external supernatural stuff that they could see and hear. And they're like, whoa, all of a sudden. This was verse 17 ended with the last commandment. And it flowed right into this. So God gives these commandments and then boom, it's just like party time. 
And, and, and look what it says. They were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we, lest we die. They got freaked out. They go, whoa, 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 God's scary. We better back up. Now, that is a natural response. If we saw God show up with his presence in a very manifest, tangible way, that, that's our natural response to go, whoa, I better back up. Now, Moses responds in verse 20 and says, don't fear, for God has come to test you. Another word might be train you. That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So Moses says, don't fear. Notice that? He says, don't fear. God simply come to, 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 to train you, to test you, to teach you to fear him. <laughs> don't fear. God just come to tell you to fear him. It's like, wait, what? Moses is saying, don't fear in the sense that you run away from God, hide under the blankets and say, I don't want to deal with him. He's scary. No, don't have that kind of fear. God has just showed up in a very tangible way. Manifest his presence in, in, in a way that you can feel so that he weighs heavily on your soul so that you have a healthy kind of fear of him, a reverence for him, an awe of him, a wow of him so that you might not sin, so that you might continue to trust him, so that you might continue to walk as the people that he has freed you to be. Don't have an unhealthy fear, but have a healthy, reverent kind of fear of him. Then you'll rest in who he says you are. Then you'll trust him as your God. He's a big God, a holy God, a mighty God, and they needed him to, they needed to see him that way. And so do you and I. On a regular basis, we need to see him that way as a big, mighty, holy God. That's our job is to say, God, help me. What does it take for me to see you in the way that I should see you? Because again, hearing that he loves us won't move the needle. It won't lead to freedom if he's small. If he's small. If he's like that relative that sends you a birthday card once a year saying, I love you. It's like, ah, okay, whatever. Sure, I'm glad you love me. Anyway. But if God's big, then it drives us, it captivates us, it moves us. There's a book called Awe, Paul Tripp uh, is the author. It's a great book. I recommend it. It's, it's the, the, the premise is basically how everything we do is because of what we are in awe of, what captivates our souls. There's nothing we don't do that is not driven by awe. The problem is that we're often in awe of, captivated by the wrong things. We might say we believe the right things about God, and we do, but if we're in awe of, let's say, the idea of getting married then we might be tempted to not trust God with that, compromise certain convictions in order to keep a boyfriend or a girlfriend happy with us. We might believe the right things about Jesus, but we're, if we're in awe of a certain uh, career status, then we might sacrifice our family on the altar of climbing the corporate ladder because that is what we're in awe of. That's what's driving us. That's what's moving us. We need to have a big awe of God. Because when God is big, other things become small. When our fear of God is big in a healthy way, then our fear of other things, the fear of failure, the fear of the loss of security, 
the fear of not getting married, the fear of being stuck in a difficult marriage, the fear of our kids being sick, the fear of our kids getting into trouble again, the fear of getting COVID, the fear of the vaccinations, the fear of the Democrats, the fear of the Republicans, whatever it is that we get outraged about on social media will become small if God is in his rightful place. And so God showcased his presence in a tangible way so that they would feel it. Now this is different than the idea that God is omnipresent. He is. That's an important doctrine to trust in, that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Whether you see it, feel it, know it. But that is different than these moments when God, for his people, out of love for them, shows them in a tangible way, a way that they can feel, I'm here, now, with you. I'm big, I'm mighty, I got you. I'm in control of all things. For them, in this moment, he was shaking the mountain and smoke and lightning was coming out. And we see throughout scripture that there's other moments, there's other ways that he makes himself tangible. And Moses, because their reaction was, oh no, we better get away. Moses basically said, don't be afraid. God's not here to hurt you. He just wants you to have a different kind of fear so that you trust him, trust his ways. Because normally, you think about it, normally fear and anxiety lead to, lead to sin, lead to us doing selfish, prideful things. Consider the person, businessman who got taken advantage of in the past. Now he's in the middle of a deal. Well, he's out of fear of being taken advantage of again. You know, maybe he made this vow, I'll never be taken advantage of again. He's going to be tempted to be the ruthless one, the greedy one, to, the, the one that gets it over on the other guy. But if you have a healthy fear of God, then you're going to say, you know what? My goal is to go through this deal with a, with a clear conscience, even if it means getting taken advantage of, because you know what? God's got me. Even if I get, you know, screwed over in some way, God's got me. He's big. I'm going to go through this with a clear conscience and try to be as mature and level-headed as I can, not reacting out of the fear of being taken advantage of. That makes sense? Now, some will say that the fear of God is an Old Testament thing. You know, God's moved on. He's less scary now. He's chilled out. But it's not. And I want to show you one passage from the New Testament, one of many, 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 many. Uh, Luke 12, Jesus said this. I tell you, my friends, this is starting in verse 4 of Luke 12, by the way, if you're following along. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. So, this is stop right there for a second. Jesus says, don't fear the people who can kill your body. But he doesn't say, because don't worry, I'll protect you from getting killed. He says, all they can do is kill your body. Big deal. Big deal, they kill your body. So what? I'll tell you who you should fear. I'll warn you about who you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yeah, fear him. Jesus like, way to freak him out, right? But notice what Jesus says next. So he says, don't fear other people. You know, they could kill you, whatever. Fear God, who has the authority to cast you into hell. But then he says this. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know what Jesus is doing? He's teaching us not to worry. If you have a healthy fear of God, 
and you belong to him, you can trust him to care for you because he knows every hair on your head. He cares for the sparrows. They're cheap. That's his point about how many, you know, five for two pennies. It's cheap. Sparrows are cheap, and yet God cares for them. How much more are you caring for you? So if you have a healthy fear and reverence for God, then you'll rest in his arms. You'll trust him when you're worried about what's going to happen with my job, what's going to happen with my kids, what's going to happen with my family's dysfunction, what's going to happen through this next season. God's like, hey, I got you. Have a healthy fear of God, and you'll rest in him. And it'll also keep us, therefore, from making idols out of lesser things. You know, uh, that was the first commandment. Remember, the Ten Commandments, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. We talked about idols. Well, the reason we make idols out of things, the reason we look to them for fulfillment or worth or protection, is because God is small. But if God is big, it'll protect us from making idols out of those lesser things. Oops. I want to show you a clip from a movie in a moment. Let me set it up. Kind of the way that I see this. Um, we just got a new dog, a new uh, uh, lab, black lab. Um, puppy, five months old. She's nuts. She's nuts. We thought she was a little more than, you know, older than a puppy, but she's still a puppy. So she, she's, she's nuts. But, but one thing for sure, she loves everybody. I mean, she just loves everybody, which is great. It's great to know she loves everybody. But if I'm away, I can't trust this dog to protect my family. It ain't going to be a good guard dog. Somebody tried to break in through the window, it's going to run up with a toy in its mouth, start licking him, trying to play, roll, roll over, rub his belly. Not a good guard dog, even though we know that he, this dog loves all of us. Now, contrast that with this dog in the movie Turner and Hooch. Remember, remember that movie? Remember Turner and Hooch? I watched it as a kid, but uh, my family recently watched it again. And I want to show you the opening scene where Turner, played by Tom Hanks, this cop, first meets Hooch, this guard dog in a shipyard. Let's just watch this. I know outside it's a little hard to see, but do your best. Stop him, Mooch! Stop him, Mooch! 
That's, that's a guard dog. If you're approaching a house with that dog, you're going to have a healthy fear, aren't you? Call it reverence. You're going to approach that, that dog cautiously. You're not going to take him lightly, right? If he is your guard dog, if you're on the other side, of the, like that, that's your house, right? Then you can trust that he's going to protect you. He's gonna, you can trust that he's going to guard your house pretty darn well. If he can do that to somebody, and by the end of the movie, they become partners in a sense, so Tom Hanks' character can trust his dog to do to the bad guys what the dog did to him in the beginning. And that's what we get in God. That's what we get in God, this big God that, yes, without belonging to him and trusting him, there's this, this fear of, oh, no, I better get away. But when we're his people, when we've trusted in him, and he says, no, you're in my family now, then we get to rest and go, ah, I can trust that big God to care for me because he's that big. I can trust that big God to look out for me and to work all things together for my good. I can rest in that. If a dog is too small for you to be able to, you know, if I can handle my lab, then he's, I can't trust the dog to protect my house. But if the dog is too big to handle, like Tom Hanks couldn't handle that dog, then you can trust that he can handle whatever threats come against you. And if our God is too small, where he's just very permissive, very tolerant, then it's like, yeah, he's good that he loves me, but he can't help me with all these big problems I have. But if he's big, then it's like, man, what are these things? Yeah, you can handle these, God. That makes sense. So we need a big, healthy awe of God. And those of you getting baptized, I would say this is your charge. To keep God big in your heart. Protect your fear of him. Fan the flames of awe of him. Then you'll remember who you are and you'll wake up less mornings with identity amnesia. Keep him big. Keep him big. The other day, a few mornings ago, I woke up uh, feeling a little overwhelmed. Anxious about some things. We had been away last weekend, thank God, and then come back, things pile up, and the, tra- the, 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 the season we're in, transitions and whatnot, there's just a lot, and I was feeling anxious. And, you know, guys don't like to call anxiety fear, but I was like, if I was honest, I was like, yeah, there was a few things I was afraid of getting messed up or not sure how to respond to. And so I read the Bible like I normally do in my bedroom. I'm reading it, and nothing changed in my heart. It's good to read the Bible. I'm not saying you should always expect this, like, Papal moment, but I needed a moment this morning because I was feeling anxious. I was like, all right, I closed it up, went downstairs, got a cup of coffee, went outside on the deck with the lab <laughs> protecting me. And I sat down and I was just like, God, like, I still feel this. Why do I feel this? And I was looking up at the breezes, the, 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 the big trees blowing in the breeze, and I was just reminded, God, it's so big, you're big, but I want to feel your bigness. I know you're big, but I want to feel it so that these other things that are weighing on me become small. And I was reminded of Ephesians 5 where God, you know, Paul says, be continually filled with the Spirit. And so God said, God, fill me. Fill me by the power of your Spirit with a fresh awe of you, a fresh fear of you, a fresh reverence for you. And nothing like, like knocked me over right then and there, although that could happen. But gradually throughout the day, God answered that prayer. He got bigger and bigger and bigger, and everything else became smaller and smaller and smaller. 
God answered that prayer because that's a prayer he loves to answer. That is praying according to his will. Make you big in my heart today, God. Oh, he loves to answer that. That's a prayer you can stand on. Now, how, if that's our charge, if that's what, a big job of ours to make God big, what do we do? What do we do? Because it's his doing. His spirit works in us. We can't just manufacture that. I do think there are some things that the Holy Spirit uses to help us feel his bigness. And because of time's sake, I can't go into all the things that I originally wanted to. Um, for those of you getting baptized, you're getting baptized into the church community, like into the body of Christ. And so we need the body to help us with this. We need each other to kind of point out, hey, I think you're making X, Y, and Z too big right now. We need each other to, to point out some spiritual disciplines that are important to do. My men's life group recently did a 21-day Daniel fast together, and, and I know some of the guys talked about how God became bigger in that time. So fasting is one thing. Spending time in nature can do it for others. For me, being in the middle of the ocean in the morning when there's nobody else out reminds me, wow, God, you're so big. I could get swallowed up here. I'm so small. And it's so important to feel small. That's another prayer to pray. God, help me to feel small. It's, don't buy into the lie that you have to feel big. You'll be expecting people to pat you on the back all day long. No, feel small because then God is big and you worry less. Feel small. Going to cemeteries for me makes me feel small in a good way. I'm reminded of how short life is. What are my little things I'm worried about? 200 years from now, they're going to be nothing. So I could talk about many things, but I want to highlight two things right now that I think our church community could lean into in a greater way. So just two things. You could write them down if you want, but you know what? Maybe just trust that one of them is going to be highlighted for you. Number one, pray with God's word as your fuel. So it's not just pray. Go pray. Because you know what? We could pray as if God was really small. And many of us do. We slip into this mindset of praying as if God is our genie, our butler, our executive assistant. So like, hey, God, come here. Let me have our meeting for the day. This is what I think you should do. No, no, no. You got it? You got it? Okay, go. Right? That's how we treat God sometimes. We're like our kids come to us. We, they come to us, but they come to us because they want something else that's in their mind bigger than their relationship with us. Daddy, can I have a treat? Daddy, can I have your phone so I can buy Roblox? They want those things more than they want this relationship. And so we could pray to God like that. But when Scripture is our fuel, when it's our foundation, when we're using it, it reminds us of who we're praying to. So that when we pray to God, we actually pray as if God was big and we're small, and then everything else lines up in its proper perspective. For example, perhaps we read in the Old Testament the story of Joseph and all the trials he went through and then how God used it. That might remind us that God's in control so I don't have to be in control. Ah, I can rest in his sovereign control over all things. Maybe we read in scripture about how God delights in us. And so there is no shame that should keep us away from him. And so we can pray and go, God, thank you that your grace is so big. Despite my sins this week, my attitudes this morning, thank you. 
Maybe scripture reminds us of God's plan for all eternity and how we're going to reign with him on a new heaven and a new earth. And so it leads to us holding loosely to the things of this world. So we're like, you know what, God? Who cares if we get taken advantage of when we're selling a house and we don't get the money we're asking for? Who cares? You, we're gonna get the, we get the earth one day. We get eternity one day. We get new creation one day. So scripture reminds us of who we're praying to so that when we're done praying, we have less anxiety than when we started. And then number two. So, okay, so wait. Number one, pray with God's word as your fuel. If you pray a lot but barely ever read scripture, that's a challenge for you. Number two is kind of the other side of that coin. Read the Bible with worship as your goal. Don't just read the Bible as like it's a moral, ethical roadmap. In many ways it is. Don't read it as if it's some self-help guide so that you can get some quote that you can put on a meme and then put on social media. Is it inspiring? Yes, it is. But primarily, primarily the Bible is this grand story of humanity in desperate need of redemption and saving and how God has been acting as that redeemer and that savior since the beginning of time. And so when we read scripture, the goal shouldn't be some moral lesson that I act on today as much as it should be worship. And worship could mean look like all kinds of different things. Maybe you read that story of Joseph in the Old Testament and it leads to you going, God, I praise you right now that you are in control of all the difficulties of my life. Maybe you read a psalm about uh, giving thanks for God's goodness and so you take a moment and you recount God's many blessings that day, that week, that month. Maybe you read uh, a certain command in the New Testament that convicts you and you realize how far short you've fallen and how much you've offended a holy God, and it leads to you confessing sin. That's one way to worship him. And then asking for forgiveness, and then praising him that he is faithful to forgive us. Maybe you read about his heart for the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the foreigner, and it leads to you having a broken heart that mourns and fasts and joins God's broken heart for the brokenness of this world. That's another form of worship. And you go, God... How can I be an agent of, of alleviating that suffering? But read scripture with the goal of worship. Pray, God, when I read this today, help me to respond. Help me to see you as big and then respond appropriately. So those are just two things I wanted to highlight, uh, specifically for those of you getting baptized. Again, there's other things I won't get, in, get into. Um, but again, baptism identifies you with Christ. You belong to him now. Keep God as big in front of you, in awe of him, reverent in your heart, so that, as Moses said, the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin, that you may not wake up with identity amnesia, that you may not wake up acting like an orphan, acting like you're on your own, feeling like you have to take matters into your own hands. Now, before I call up the person getting baptized or the persons, um, I just want to ask, is there anybody here, just by a show of hands, who needs God to become bigger in their hearts right now? Just other things are weighing too. Okay. Can you all stand up for a minute? 
I, I wasn't planning to, so let me just think for a minute. Okay. Too, too many to do what we were going to do. Um, Actually, no, keep, stay standing. Stay standing if, that you, if, you, if you said, um, even if you're next to somebody who's standing and you're standing, doesn't matter. You pray for them, they pray for you, but put your hand on their shoulder. Let's, let's just pray for each other who is standing for a moment that God would show up in a tangible way. I know, it's awkward. I know, I know, I know. If you're here for the first time, bear with us. We don't do this every week. Save our awkward times for appropriate moments when the awkwardness is heightened. <laughs> All right, y'all around somebody? You get a chance? Okay, just take a moment. Our prayer is that God, by the power of his spirit, would fill you. And it may happen in a moment, like boom, right now. It, it may be gradual throughout the day. But let's pray that. Let's just take a moment. You could, you could pray silently. You could pray, pray within that group, to, with that person. I'll just start. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are, you're not just holy and big and in control, but you love us. Your love is big. That you came down and died for us. While we were still sinners, you died for us. You called us to yourself while we had our backs turned against you. That's your great love for us. And that's the love we want to be able to rest in today. Trust in on a, on, a, on a level that is more than just head knowledge. Hits our souls. Weighs on us. May the glory, the weight, the, the power of your holiness and your love hit our souls today so that everything else becomes small. What people think of us, our own need to be in control, Maybe getting even with those who've hurt us. Maybe the need to be understood. The need for have respect. Let all those things become small. Even the fear of death, as Jesus said in Luke 12, let that become small compared to our reverence for you. In your name. Amen.